some one of the commentators afterwards said most people go for two they went for Tua So hello and welcome to all four quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. We're coming into week seven and man, I wasn't really feeling it after last weekend. But lots of news, lots of fun, lots of excitement and some trades. Thank God we did this a day late this week. So hey, we got Connor here and we got Ronan. Hello. How are you getting on? Any crack? Ah, not too bad. Uh, tipping away at work. One a few weeks out from release, we're well on schedule, so... Yeah, I was uh, hanging out with the lads there last night uh, to watch the Ireland-Switzerland game in the soccer. Uh, we lost. We have a, now we have to win. We have a win and in game against Denmark for the Euro Championship now. Uh, but uh, Sarah, who's one of our friends, uh, girlfriend, was also there, and she was saying, and I was mentioning, like, oh yeah, we're on schedule. She's like, oh, how convenient that things are going on schedule for you. Uh, she's currently working in the Irish Health Service, so I don't think yeah. that's how things work. I don't, think, I don't think anything runs on time there. <laughs> and in the other Irish sport update, of course, Ireland managed to beat Samoa, so we're now through the quarterfinals, but are going to play the best team in the world in rugby, yeah. uh, the All Blacks, New Zealand, uh, basically the New England Patriots of rugby world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Ireland have beaten them a couple of times in the last few years, so it's not a complete write-off. But, couple? Uh, I, thought, I thought it was only the once, no? They beat them twice uh, out of the last four times, but oh. they're all good to step up. They'll be on their top form, so we'll see if we can we can match them on the night. Yeah, it should be it should be a good match, but yeah, I'm not sure from unless I missed something major in the more recent games. I wasn't thinking at the start that like this was a team who was going to be able to take on the All Blacks, really. Yeah, but the All Blacks themselves have a few players coming back from injury and. They're kind of playing a different style than they were. They still, uh, they've still got your man, though, Bowden Barrett or whatever, don't they? Yeah, but they're playing him at uh, fullback now. That's basically kind of the most uh, attacking okay. position in the rugby team. Um, they're playing Richie Mwanga at fly half, where Bowden Barrett usually played for a while. Um, so they're kind of a very di- they're kind of a bit different, of a different team, team from what I would have seen last. Interesting, yeah. yeah. And it's been up and down, but I think they've been more up than down in, in the recent in the World Cup and in recent months so mm. it'll be a tough challenge but, very uh, good we're, yeah. we're, are you in Connor? oh well <laughs> like, I'll, be, I'll be watching it yeah and I'll be uh, I'll be wearing my Ireland rugby top that I've got uh, although I'll probably just be sitting in the front room of my own I've, unfortunately I have been going to the gym a bit and now the rugby top doesn't quite fit because my shoulders have gotten a lot bigger <laughs> So now it just kind of like it just stretches where 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 once the top fitted fine and the belly was tight now it's that the top is tight and the belly is fine which is <laughs> it's a good movement but it also means I'm gonna have to get a new top whenever I get back. But um, yeah, like if they're rugby tops are probably less problematic if they if they're a little bit tight on the belly. Yeah, to be fair, though, like I, I it's one thing I find with the rugby tops and also like the playing American football tops. I like them because I've kind of got quite wide shoulders and they kind of are cut a little bit more in that triangle shape, which kind of suits me quite well. But um, yeah, no, nothing too much here. I got my exams finished, so happy days. Uh, so now I'm just uh, flat away. It didn't work. I was uh, trying to re-educate myself a little bit on SQL uh, today because I realized it had been a while since I'd used it. We're not using it currently for anything in work, but I know that some of the system we're moving to is built on it. So I thought it was worthwhile to learn a little bit uh, again of, of how I'd attack it. But enough about crappy data management systems and stuff. Let's move on to some of the NFL things that people are actually listening to us for. So uh, 
We're recording a day later than we normally do, and that's worked out in our favour because some big news broke last night. Uh, first off, the LA Rams traded Marcus Peters to the Baltimore Ravens for a fifth rounder and a, their backup linebacker, Kenny Young. Uh, so they basically got Marcus Peters for absolutely nothing, which is probably fairly reflective of how he's been playing in the last year or so for the Rams. This was... So step one in a two-step process. So the Rams then went ahead and traded for Jalen Ramsey from the Jacksonville Jaguars in exchange for both uh, 2020 and 2021 first-round picks and a fourth-round pick as well. Uh, so this is pretty kind of interesting. It's a lot of capital to give up for him. Ramsey is an excellent player, but he's also in a contract year. Now, I think they have him for the fifth year option if they want, but the presumption is going to be if you're giving up that kind of moolah, you're going to be extending him. You're not just kind of just doing this for a year and a half's rental. So this is an interesting one because the way that the Rams play defense doesn't necessarily gel with the skills. Ramsey has been quite vocal about not liking playing zone. And I think LA Rams play like the third and most amount of zone at the moment. At like two thirds of their snaps are zone. It also means that even before extending him, the uh, the Rams are going to have nearly 110 million of their cap space tied up in five players next year. And uh, one of them has a knee injury, and they don't know if they can use him the full time. Another one is a quarterback who's been struggling for the pretty much the entirety of this season. Uh, this this trade confuses the living shit out of me, Ronan. I don't know why they do this. Cornerback isn't going to fix the problems they have, and they're already a couple of games back in a division with very strong teams in it that they're maybe not even going to make the playoffs. Yeah, like it's it that's it's it's almost as unusual as what was happening in Pittsburgh over the last few weeks. This kind of almost you kind of sense almost desperation to kind of turn over the roster and make moves. And I know the last few years I've seen some really big successes from teams taking that attitude, like with the Eagles, for example. But you're looking at this, uh, you know, selection of trades. Like you're basically trading Marcus Peters and two firsts and a fourth for Kenny Young and a fifth rounder and Jalen Ramsey and you're kind of going would I make that trade and the answer is probably not and we know that Ramsey isn't someone who's gonna you know just quietly sit there if they don't start bringing the cash book and get the contracts and agents involved pretty soon he's gonna be looking for money probably you know maybe not at the MAC money we saw when he was traded but certainly he wants to be the highest paid although although do 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 bear in mind that these that they have traded more capital to get him than was traded to get Mac as well. So he would yeah. have a case for pushing for that kind of funds. And don't forget that the Jacksonville ownership uh, had said we're willing to make Ramsey the highest paid corner in the league. So it's not like his expectations have been set below that mark. And it's just a matter of how much more above he wants to be the current leaders in the market. Um, so, you, yeah, I think you, you are right that LA Rams, they play a lot of zone coverage like over 60%. I do think there's a general trend of the league that a lot of the newer offenses are kind of ripping apart the zone defenses and that teams are having to play more man to try and hold them up. KC being a good example mm-hmm. of a team that struggles more against man than zone. 
Um, and I think that maybe, like Wade Phillips, obviously he's a great defensive coordinator. He might be willing to make some changes to the scheme to reflect those changes in the offensive side of the league. Uh, and then, yeah, I think you look at the rest of the team, the holes they have, a linebacker on the offensive line, though they did manage to trade for a center, Austin Corbett, from Cleveland for what's currently an unknown pick in 2021. Uh, but, you know, this is a team that we've always said has had holes, had issues, uh, questionable quarterback, of course. Um, but now they're in a questionable position and they're making all these moves and you're wondering for a team which, uh, you know, like we're, we're, we're going to the injury section soon, but it's worth noting the injury section, three fairly major injuries already hitting this team in the last week with Aqib Tlaib, uh, guard Joseph Noboom and safety John Johnson all going to IOR this season, all likely done for the season. Mm-hmm. And you're wondering, you know, at the end of this year, they're going to have to bring out a lot of money uh, and not probably have had as much success as you'd expect. And, you know, for a team that we've kind of been, like, a bit sceptical about all season, I think you've heard it in the way we've reviewed them. They're like, the offense is good, but not what it was. It, it's a bit worrying for this team, for its trajectory, not just this season, but going forward. Well, that's the thing, is, like, these contracts that they're getting themselves into are long-term contracts. They can't get out of the Gurdy contract until, I think, 2020 or 2020, sorry, 2021, I think. So that's the next three years. They definitely can't get out of the quarterback contract. They can't get out of, like, there's no way that this is only a one-year trade for here. The only hope they have is, a, you know, an extension could mean that they could lower the cap hit next year for uh, for uh, the, the Ramsey contract. But that's about yeah. it. I just, like, and it's not like this is, a, this is a division that they're in, that they have a lot of number one wide receivers that they need a specific lockdown corner against. Like, this is a spot where there's much more comprehensive issues they could be dealing with on there. They need line help. They need offensive line help in particular. This is a very old, very heavily paid offensive line that's already starting to experience injuries. Surely that's where draft capital should go. Like, the likes of the Texans trading for the guard from the Dolphins, Tunsil. Like, we might laugh at what they paid for him, but that is a young piece at a position of need that is making an immediate impact for that team, at least. I don't see the impact that Jalen Ramsey makes to push this team over the edge. Yeah, and I think just, I think, as I mentioned, like trading is much more in fashion these days, but I do think the trades that end up working most often are the trades that are disposable, the type of trades that the Eagles make, that the Patriots make, where usually they're not really stuck in for too long because of them. Like these kind of trades, honestly, actually mostly remind me of what the Seahawks did after their Super Bowl win. Where they trade, or around where just won the Super Bowl, where they traded for players like Jimmy Graham, and it didn't really mm-hmm. work out. I just, yeah, the, the whole philosophy just isn't really jiving right now. I think they got a great coach, they have a great defensive coordinator, so I don't think they're going to collapse into nothingness. Mm-hmm. But for a team that's really Super Bowl or busts, we're not looking like a Super Bowl team right now. Yeah, and like on top of everything else, I would have kind of thought that like if you're going to go and try and make this a strength, keep Ramsey for the sake of a fifth round pick, keep Peters there for the season, and then just let him go if you're not going to get anything. Like you're probably going to get at least that much in a in a compensatory pick if needs be, kind of thing later on. I just I don't like this move, and it smells just it smells more like a desperation kind of trying to keep the fans interested in the new LA team rather than anything else to me. But uh, we'll see. We'll move on injuries. Like like you mentioned, they've got a couple of keep to leave uh, Joseph Noboom and uh, John Johnson. All IR, probably they'll look at who might be Boomerang to keep to leave is being talked about being able to come back maybe. But yeah, just devastation in there in, in 
to, to a couple of positions, particularly the, the defensive backs for them. So I don't I don't see this kind of patch really working, even with the amount they've spent on it. Seattle's tight end, Will Disley, who's been having a nice season so far. He's done his Achilles and he's gone for the season. That's quite a hit to them, even though they've been getting production out of their wideouts like Metcalf and Lockett. Like they were getting a lot of balls being fed into the tight end. Yeah, and Disley, he had a fast start last year before he... He did his other, well, he did his patellar tendon last year, for the entire season, came back really strong this year, and obviously the patellar tendon is not a, uh, a trivial injury, and now he's done his Achilles on the other foot, now he's done for the season, he'd been really good, probably Russell Wilson's second favourite target, and he's also he was also a pretty good blocker, he was just a great all-round tight end, really complimented what they had uh, with people like Metcalf, I think it will definitely affect their offence a bit, but I think... You know, they're obviously a run-first team. They obviously, like Metcalf has hit the ground running and they have Tyler Lockett, so I think they'll still be effective, but it certainly is a, a major damper to see a young, talented tight end like this uh, be kicked out of the league um, for two years in a row. No, of course. The Washington Mazungus have decided to put tight end Jordan Reed on IR. He's gone for the season, realistically. Uh, they have said about the potential of coming back, but realistically, this is, I think, about his 26th concussion Uh this is not a question about him coming back this season. This is a question about maybe it's time for him to retire from the league, if we're completely honest. Very promising, very good player when he was available, but just way too many head injuries. Yeah, like he managed to play the entire season last year. Maybe we thought he was on the mend, but the early on this year, even in the preseason, the concussion issues came back. And just with the way that those are popping up, we know that those clusters are incredibly dangerous. And I think... You know, I don't know his financial or personal circumstances, but he, he may be better off retiring from the league than continuing um, to risk uh, so much of his future with this. It's just this level of concussion uh, occurrence just is not yeah. it's not sustainable. And the thing is, as well, to always bear in mind that these are just the ones that we're aware of. That there's always you always hear about it afterwards. And if they're out of the league, how many happen in college? How many are hidden even during games? How many they try and just kind of not talk about? So yeah. Like, just very worrying. New Orleans running back Alvin Kamara has a high ankle sprain, which leaves him week to week. He has been pretty much a lot of the lifeblood of that uh, offense, with the exception of when Teddy Bridgewater turns it on and remembers how to throw deep downfield. This would be an impact on them, obviously, while they're waiting for Breeze to come back if he's missing any significant time. Yeah, uh, I think, like, Breeze is a few weeks away. I think he's expected probably back after the bye, but maybe for maybe even back in week eight. But, uh, yeah, I think Alvin Kamara, he probably hasn't been quite as... Uh, he's racked up the yards, but hasn't got the touchdowns that he kind of got previously. Um, so I think on, 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 on average, he still looked roughly the same, but I think the offense in general has just been... was obviously a lot less explosive without Breeze. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he'll be able to play through this. I think he's got that talent, but uh, you might see a bit more of Latavius Murray mixed in um, to keep him fresh mm. and keep this from developing further. No, of course. And Houston have a couple of injuries. Uh, cornerback Bradley Roby has injured his hamstring. He's gone for probably three to four weeks. And uh, Titus Howard, their offensive tackle, is an MCL sprain. He'll be gone for several weeks. I think they're quite happy to hear that because at the time when he went down, they were worried that it might be uh, much more of a season ender rather than anything else. Uh, but yeah, so nothing, nothing too permanent there. But uh, still concerns for them to keep an eye on going over the next couple of games. Uh, We'll move over to Controversy Corner. Uh, There was a few bits on this. So we'll start, I suppose, with... I quite enjoyed this story. The Tennessee Titans have decided the name 
Tannehill their starter for week seven. They have not scored any points for ten quarters, if I remember correctly. Uh, Marcus Mariota had that one game, I think it was in week three, that he looked excellent. He only completed 18 passes, but they were all beautiful passes and touchdowns <laughs> and stuff. And I was like, man, I haven't seen this quarterback before. Like, is this what everyone thought he was going to be? And then he just proceeded to return to exactly what we were expecting. Just the most boring, just nothing happening at all. So we've gone from this is going to be his year quarterback to the backup to this is going to be his year. This is going to be his year junior, Tannehill. So do we think Tannehill can thrive in this uh, you know, lovely and exciting environment of the Tennessee Titans? Yeah, like I think the Tennessee offense is pretty limited. It doesn't expect a huge amount from the quarterback. It's obviously driven uh, by their, their running back, Derrick Henry. Um, I think the major thing that they'll want from Tannehill is to just be decisive, to basically take the throws as schemed up and not dilly-dally in the pocket and get sacked. Because I think the biggest issue with Mariota wasn't necessarily... He's an incredibly safe quarterback, but he's just way too prone to sitting there and allowing himself to get sacked. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think he's just always waiting for the guy to be really open, and it just isn't working. And I think you know I've talked about it a lot before, but I thought that if he's going to be this indecisive, they should at least make more design runs, more like rolling out of the pocket a bit more, but they just seem to, I don't know whether it's his own confidence or if the team has a philosophical disagreement with that idea, but uh, if they're not going to do that, then we saw how limited he is, and I don't think Tannehill is that much of an improvement, but if he can just be more, say, Alex Smith-like, where just you make the throws, you do your job, you get it done, and do what uh, Mike Vrabel says, then there's a chance that Tannehill will probably continue to start for many weeks to come. No, of course. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see. We'll see, because to, to be honest, as it stands, I just I just don't think the Tennessee Titans are watchable as a football team. So maybe this is... I, I, it's a weird thing where you can think that possibly Tannehill might make them more watchable. But um, speaking of Tannehill, Miami have decided to swap uh, quarterback again. So a week after declaring that Josh Rosen would be the starter for the rest of the season, uh, they've benched him for Ryan Fitzpatrick who came on, led them to score a touchdown, and then made a complete balls of a two-pointer to try and win the game, just to keep them on that perfect losing streak. Uh, like, this this is irrelevant news outside of just how stupid it makes the coaching and GM in Miami look, because no team, no, no quarterback is winning with this team at the moment. Like, you could put Tom Brady down there, and my God, I'd love to put Tom Brady down there. But, like... <laughs> You know, and he's not going to be able to do a huge amount with them. Like, Ryan Fitzpatrick is probably a bit more dynamic at this point. He'll still make mistakes, but he'll, you know, he'll, he'll probably give you more of a chance than throwing essentially a rookie behind one of the worst lines in the league with the worst collection of catchers in the league. Like, you know... Like, like my working theory, I don't, I don't have any evidence for this right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if you heard this, is that this is a move that... Uh, Flores is making to appease the personnel in the locker room. I think continuing to put out Rosen, who just doesn't make he doesn't make a great impression of himself off the field with his media comments. I think Fitzpatrick is obviously the better quarterback right now. And while the philosophical idea at an objective level of playing the young guy to see how he is is all well and good, I think players want to be competitive. They want to do stuff. And Fitzpatrick, you know, even we saw in the game this week when he came on in the Mizungu's game, he showed a lot more, you know, just chemistry with the offense than Rosen did. So I think don't be surprised in a few weeks you hear that the Fitzpatrick thing ended up being 
pressure on the on the coach from the team just to basically prevent the whole thing turning into a complete rebellion on his hands. Yeah, like no, that. of course. Um, and then the kind of wider controversy that's really happening this week is there's a lot of discussion about the refereeing this year. This happens pretty much every year, but normally by this point in the season it's calmed down. The normal approach is that at the start of the season they have a couple of either new rules or new points of emphasis as they call them and they will call them pretty hard for a while at the start of the season get everyone in line and then go back to normal um as it stands there was a horrendous amount of penalties being called this weekend i think the average so far this season is nearly three or four more penalties a game than it was last season um now there is more plays being happening because teams are playing faster but this is slowing it down significantly but one of the big issues is the movement over the off-season was to introduce challenges so the coaches can challenge more plays, that there's more reviewability and that, you know, essentially you can get more of the correct calls being made on the field. This weekend in particular, we saw a huge amount of missed calls and bizarre ones even where there are reviews where there shouldn't be reviews and so on. And it's just causing a lot of questions, particularly around the fact that the refs have just signed their uh, union agreement with the NFL, I believe, three or four weeks ago. And the question now sits there of why, if there's going to be problems like this and problems that are going to affect the product that's being put out in the field and affect the enjoyment of people being able to watch the game, why were these things not negotiated more and provided for more oversight uh one of the things that's causing this is the fact that americans who don't get to see a huge amount of rugby are watching a bit of the rugby world cup at the moment and the way the rugby world cup manages issues with uh refereeing decisions where you have full audio conversation of them and a video judge while they walk through what's happening and people in real time can hear what the rationale is um yeah i think it's just flaring up and then we have things like uh, Jarvis Landry getting flagged for a blindside block where he was face to face with the player and I have no idea where the concept of a blindside block came from uh, several ghost hands to the face calls in the Monday Night Football that kind of changed realistically the outcome of that game and uh, there was one in the Chiefs games well, a, a DPI call against Kelsey which resulted in a uh, interception that they then picked up the flags of the interception stood and then explained after the game that no, there was a penalty on it. We just announced the wrong one and we couldn't swap it, so there was no penalty. It was just the most bizarre set of circumstances. Um, and yeah, I, 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 honestly, I don't think there's a... I can't think of a solution to this. I don't know how you fix it, particularly mid-season. Yeah, I think some context, uh, just just for people who are probably less familiar, Like I think one is I think a number of new refereeing crews are brought in this year, so... You're always expecting a bit of seeding issues. I think there was an emphasis on, you know, you know, keeping the game, you know, more clean or more to rules um, early on in the season, and that got overturned pretty quickly because we know, for example, holding calls were told, uh, we were the refs were told to, to call them less often, uh, and I think there are a couple of referee crews that are getting a bit of a reputation for being very flag happy. There's one, one in particular that I believe is really, really flag happy that. Uh, that people, uh, I can't, I don't know the name right now, but there's a reputation about them. So I think penalties are always going to be controversial. I think with the deep, like with the PI change, they've kind of opened a can of worms. And there's almost like a competition going on 
um, with the refs where they're aware, they're probably the ones most aware of the can of worms about reviewing penalties has been opened and are most keen to basically put that back in its can, to basically throw that experiment away and return penalties to being arbitrary, yes, but not challengeable. And to a certain extent, once you go down this rabbit hole, it could end up being a lot uglier, it makes the game a lot worse. More time for ads, I suppose, which is good for the advertisers, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably the one reason why you don't hear the deliberations, because you have to show that when the ad. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I think there's no real solution to this. There's always going to be a bit of arbitrariness to it. But, uh, yeah, you either go the full rugby route and make everything reviewable, or you go back to where you were and just accept that some arbitrariness is going to happen. Um, it's up to yourself, really. Yeah, no, it will be interesting to see, because I think... Uh, yeah, like, the, the, there's an argument to be made that, like, a lot of this was already in place beforehand, and that the reason that we have such visibility on it now is that we have HGTVs and we have, um, you know, slow motion replays immediately after the fact that you can see these things now immediately afterwards and see the mistakes made, whereas previously, you know, you know, like, these are decisions they make at full speed in games. Like, it, they don't have access to the decision-making that we would have 20 seconds after the fact unless they have the reviewable stuff, and then we can't have that without slowing down the game entirely. So it does just become a bit of a bit of an absolute mess you know um but yeah i don't i don't know we'll, we'll see if this changes over the next couple of weeks because like we say it's now statistically very noticeable that it hasn't reduced since the early part where they normally see a spike in penalties being called like i think there was a track of six plays in a row on the monday night football game that were all penalties being flagged on every single one of them which is just just unheard of really um crime and punishment there wasn't much this week there wasn't much but Bennett got suspended by New England for one week because of apparently philosophical differences with his <laughs> position coach. So yeah, what do we think are his positions? Did he get into a discussion about a trolley problem? Or was it purely a discussion about what is true and what is the nature of what he knows to be? Well, like I think Bennett's more of a deontological point of view. I think he'd be more... I don't think he goes in for consequentialism overall, but uh, yeah, like I think you know Michael Bennett. I think the most likely thing that happened here, and obviously it's very likely we've never heard because it's New England, but uh, most likely Bennett has been known for freelancing a little bit um, in his defensive duties, and in New England that's probably a bit of a no-no. So I imagine on the tape they found a few cases where he wasn't doing what he's supposed to do, and they've decided to put the foot down here. He's on like a one-year rental, so New England they will stop playing him if he keeps doing it, but uh, he's got enough talent, they'll probably play him if they can. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Denver have fixed all of their offensive ro- woes. They've hired a fullback, Andy Janovich, who they're paying a surprisingly large amount of money to. Uh, Three-year, 5.7 million with 3.22 million guaranteed. So I think he's actually something like the fourth highest fullback, highest paid fullback in the league uh, yeah. on the basis uh-huh. of this deal. I think with the way their offense is in the passing game, which has been slightly improved, I think they've gone more towards the running game, particularly Lindsay, and that's helped them out a bit. So maybe just trying to lean more into that. And obviously, we know with Vic Fangio, a defensive coach, they love their physical, hard-playing offenses. So having a well-paid fullback is all part of that idea. No, of course. Uh, so the only other bits we have are two things. Turns out the Pope's a fan of the Saints. Not all that surprising, but uh, he basically <laughs> tweeted out and uh, was talking about them not realizing he was tagging the wrong account, which was which was good fun. And the Ballers finale happened. Uh, did you watch it? 
Yeah, uh, it was it was interesting. Like uh, it was shit, wasn't it? It was. Well, yeah, it was it, awful. You know, like I, I think they were desperate to kind of get the, uh, you know, the win for the Rock, and obviously the win in this case was acknowledging getting getting lifetime healthcare for all NFL players, which to mm-hmm. be fair would be a great thing to see. Uh, but yeah, the way they did it was pretty shit. And then the whole like framing device they've used all year, the way they wrapped that up was pretty stupid in my yeah. opinion yeah it was just uh, terrible. To be honest, the entire way that they got it is so unrealistic it's like you know they, they made a literal movie about how the nfl basically shits on and uses media media strategies to avoid taking any blame for injuries uh concussion uh for reference so i don't think suddenly having people tweeting all at the same time that they got injured playing football was going to change no. the world and also like also like just the, just that scene where they have them all kind of going it's like oh wait we're one vote short oh well i guess it's over then hey maybe it's not over terry jones is here to save the day <laughs> like it was just oh the thing is also it was not it was not that believable but it was enjoyable for the season and my god that finale was just like let's just cut out shapes that look like something that vaguely spells out closure for every different storyline yeah and like i have to admit the whole like joe and your the young well the woman from its company getting together it all works out like i thought last week where they said this is a bad idea. It was probably the right idea. Yeah, I don't think great if they just finished it there. That are similar to that uh, one. But it turns it turns out that all you need to do to fix you know a huge psychosis is to just not ask how was it going out for dinner with OBJ and suddenly you're back together. Uh, what a anyway, what a time uh, to be alive! Uh, all right, will we move over and we'll have a look at a couple of the games? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. First up, we have, oh yeah, that was Thursday Night Football. Giants at New England, 14-35. to 35. Ugh. Yeah, not much to talk about this game. Like, the New England defence and special teams basically dominated with Stefan Gilmore in particular, uh, you know, basically punishing uh, young Daniel Jones for targeting him. Uh, two touchdowns, uh, one defensive, one special teams, four, tor- four turnovers. And the offence was grand outside of their own turnovers. And to be honest, the Giants, they had one big play to Golden Tate, and they had one special teams like help for, for the offense. But Daniel Jones, 50% completion, three interceptions. Like, I think the Giants will do stuff against the bad teams, but they're nowhere near being relevant in the NFC at this point. So yeah. New England continue to eat their cupcakes all year long. Why not? Why not? Next up was another bleh-ish. Carolina, Tampa Bay, 37-26. This was in London. Um, Tampa Bay shut down the run like Christian McCaffrey was still the heart of the offense he was still two of the touchdowns but like my god we called it earlier on in the season I said always pick against Tampa Bay if there's a way that James can fuck it up he will he throws five interceptions and loses a fumble in this game like it was awful the Carolina defense looked pretty good um like they did it, the 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 Tampa Bay defense shut down Christian McCaffrey, which is probably the first team to do it so far. But yeah, yeah like they were over in London, so I wouldn't take it as a benchmark of anything. Carolina with their backup quarterback Allen, like just looked massively the better team, even though they threw for like half the yardage that Tampa Bay did. Yeah, it never got out of hand, and you never at any point really thought that Tampa Bay were going to have the upset. So yeah, just blah. 
Um, the next one was, you know, the toilet bowl. I'll let you explain the toilet bowl. Yeah. So, Washington, Miami, 17 to 16. It was close, at least. It was yeah. Close. So, like, honestly, the vast majority of this game was as bad as advertised. The, the Mizzoukies talked a lot about how they were going to run Adrian Peterson, and they did. He got over 100 yards. And outside that, there was, like, like five maybe play-action passes made by Keenum to McLaurin that were that was the total sum of the Mizungu's offense. On the other hand, Miami, before they pulled Rosen, as we've talked about already, were completely listless. Fitzpatrick gets them back up to get a touchdown to get them like within like within one on the last play, um, effectively, and then they screw up this two point attempt, a derpy attempt to catch It's a perfect it's an art. It's art like he dropped the ball and he was going to get tackled by two players anyway and it was it was pretty ridiculous I think Miami showed that they are the superior tanking team um, and I think they are they're well set up to get that uh, number one overall pick that they've been coveting all the best um, the best explanation I heard some one of the commentators afterwards said most people go for two they went for Tua which (laughs) was a great little line about it uh, New Orleans and Jacksonville 13-6 to Minshew misses on the home debut sub 50% one interception 163 yards or so uh, New Orleans defense looked excellent in this game like they were just banging it 100% the offense didn't look very good I don't know if it was people getting banged up I don't know what exactly was causing it but like this was a game that was defined by the defenses all the way into I think late third quarter start of the fourth and they always say it's like the sign of a great team is that it'll win those shitty games where they're missing people and they're down and that's what New Orleans did but yeah like I think I, I, I wouldn't say this convinces me that Jacksonville's defense is very good but it certainly makes me think that there's more holes in that New Orleans offense than maybe the last two or three weeks of production with this uh, backup quarterback would have told me. Yeah, I think like the Saints, like Sean Payton's coach of the year campaign continues here. I think the big, yeah, the Saints defense has shown up so well over the last few weeks. And I think maybe we thought Teddy Bridgewater had turned the corner after last week's performance. Uh, but this week he just seemed to struggle again. Now, Jacksonville's defense is pretty good, quite up and down to this year. But, uh, yeah, I think that they're doing enough. And even like even if they were to lose the remaining games without Breeze, they're well ahead of where they expect it to be. So it's all gravy from here. I think the big worry for on the other side for Jacksonville is that, um, you know, Minshew looked and struggled a lot. And, you know, you have to worry how long, you know, before the wheels maybe turn off a bit. But I do think they have, like, I think Fournette was over 100 again. And Minshew has shown enough like sparks of magic. They they should be able to kind of keep up maybe into the into the wild card hunt. And I think for a team that came in with fairly low expectations, in my opinion, that would be a pretty good season overall. Yeah, not bad. And like I said, like there's not a huge amount to garner from this apart from I even with this like lower performance, I still think that they're gonna maybe not be able to turn away from Minshew when Foles is back from injury, to be honest. If he keeps... Because the, the team love him, the fans love him, and he's doing enough. And that was... It was a game against a tough offense, and he wasn't costing them the game. They were in it until the end. Yeah, like I, we'll have to see, but I think, you know, this is... This maybe brings a little bit back towards Foles, a performance like this. Possibly, possibly. Next up was Cincinnati at Baltimore, 70-23. to uh, Lamar Jackson had a field day here by nearly 400 all-purpose yards between running and passing. Uh, Cincinnati, like, yeah, just 
they're just not good. Special teams help them out, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's just... It's a pity because there's pieces on that team, but that offensive line is just terrible. Andy Dalton isn't doing anything to help them. The injuries aren't helping them at all. But, like, I know it flatters the score, but, like, Baltimore, someone who we would have thought were probably hunting in that, you know, top three, top four of the AFC range, they're struggling sometimes against these teams that they just shouldn't be. Uh, I... I don't know. It's not a great showing from either, but Baltimore get the win here. Lamar has a decent day, so that's all you can really say. Next up was a big game, Seattle at Cleveland. 32-28. going to let you talk a bit about this, Fitz, but I'm going to throw maybe a grenade in at the start. <laughs> I think the Browns lost this game rather than the Seahawks won it. Yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't lie to you. I think Cleveland they couldn't get out of their own way. They made so many mistakes in this game. Now you never know how Seattle would have reacted if they had been like forced into the corner more. But uh, huge number of drop passes from Cleveland, number of turnovers, and three interceptions for Baker here. Albeit like one wasn't really his fault. And there was like a fourth and one uh, on the goal line fiasco where they scored the touchdown, uh, but they had challenged the previous play. <laughs> Uh, and like threw it away and it's just like a lot of just kind of rookie mistakes basically from this organization as a whole and like the individual pieces sometimes look really good and Nick Chubb is probably the only thing that's consistently good like they look so good on occasion but like even like OBJ even is dropping balls and that's just like not something you expect to and if you the refs didn't give them a, a lot of help either like no it was, the, uh, it was a bit messy issue uh, but I think for Seattle, uh, obviously, they, they win another close game. They've won a lot of those so far, um, despite having a couple of mistakes. Um, but I think that the run game has got back to where we expect it to be. Chris Garson isn't fumbling the ball as much. I think he fumbled one here. Um, and Russell Wilson is having an MVP-level campaign. And, you know, they've lost Will Disley, but DK Metcalf more than makes up for that, hopefully. And the other guys will get involved. And it's just like Seattle, I think... I think maybe they're flattered a little bit by only having one loss, but I definitely think that they're a genuine contender in the NFC, um, and they could definitely give anyone a good shout. Well, that's the game. thing; like, it's it's it, they're finding a way to get it done. Like, I think, like I said, I think Cleveland probably should have won this game on balance, but again, they're younger; they've got mistakes from their head coach. Yeah. They've got, you know, they they it's this the, cliche, the first game they right? managed to get OBJ into a bit of a rhythm, and even then, it wasn't great. I just, yeah, I think. They, they could do with having a much more senior kind of head coach there instead of... I just don't think Kitchens is up to the job at the moment because this is the type of thing where you can see their skills started to shine through but their inexperience and their lack of maybe control from their from their coaching side maybe uh, kill them a bit. Next up we had... Uh, oh, God, yeah, this was one-sided. Philly at Minnesota. Yeah, like, uh, unusually for Minnesota, they dominated the game... But- like they ran pretty well, but that wasn't the story of the game. Basically, we know Philly's defense is completely torn up at the moment, and Kirk Cousins absolutely shred them with Stefan Diggs being the star this week, and maybe a little bit happier after uh, maybe uh, been a little bit discontented recently. Um, the long con, as I, I might consider it, like you know, ha Diggs is unhappy, and then Philadelphia get absolutely 167 yards, three touchdowns. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I think Philly are still a solid team. They have the players, but. They just need to get a few injuries back on offense and defense, and they, they should be competitive. But uh, I think they're lucky enough that the NFC uh, 
the NFC East right now is looking pretty trash. So I would I wouldn't write off Philly yet, but uh, injuries basically mean that Minnesota were able to kind of get this done and run over them, and uh, that was fair enough to be honest. Yeah, no, of course. Um, Houston to Kansas City, thirty-one to twenty-four. I'm uh, for any listeners who remember, I actually picked Houston for this, and then at the last second, I text Fitz and I said. No, fuck it, I'm going to ride with, with, with Casey, and then unfortunately this happened. Um, yeah, Houston were able to, outside of the first quarter, just walk all over Kansas City. There was no punts in the game from them. I think there was one from the Chiefs in the end. Uh, they had nearly 600 yards. Um, yeah, it was just the Kansas City Chiefs defense just wasn't able to do anything against them. Uh, this was again some odd refing decisions going both ways as well, uh, but just some 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 terrible setups. You saw Mahomes still working through that injury, but you know three touchdowns, an interception. The interception, as we mentioned previously, purely on the basis of a flag that was thrown that was then picked up. He took the free shot because he thought it was a free play kind of thing. Uh, Tyreek Hill was back for this game and looked very good 80 yards, 2 touchdowns 1 particularly impressively jumping up over the back of I think it was the safety yeah. to, to, to pull like, it over his hand it was like a million dollar man type yeah. <laughs> but again that was one where they had uh, they'd drawn the the defensive end I think offside with yeah. the hard count so they knew they had a, had a shot but um, yeah it was just this moment of kind of you could see it starting to happen. They went, "Oh wait, hold on. What about running the ball? Why don't we? Why don't we start doing that?" And then the Chiefs had absolutely no response at all because yeah. they don't have anyone who is a NFL grade linebacker on their team. Well, Full not stuff. for the four three anyway, in my opinion. Like I think Houston, like Houston, yeah, they started running, and to be honest, there was. I think three missed catches for Fuller that were basically gimme touchdowns. So I think that the scoreline unfortunately maybe flatters KC a little bit. I to be KC's, fair, to be fair, on every single one of those dropped catches, they scored a touchdown anyway. So well, yeah. <laughs> so they didn't not score the touchdowns. <laughs> I think like K, like K, I think the big issue for KC right now is the defense is kind of reverting to its 2018 form of being like near the very ceiling or sorry the very floor of the NFL yeah. and injuries are definitely playing their part there maybe a little bit of scheme uh, misfit there that we were kind of worried about but uh, like Houston we know we're a good team their offensive line we thought if the offensive line got sorted uh, which is a lot better right now Houston will be absolutely very very dangerous so I wouldn't be panicking too much in KC it just means that there's a you know against these big teams if they come into them right now they might struggle but I imagine if they can get healthy in time for the playoffs, and I think they're going to be in the playoffs because the rest of their division isn't really up to much, um, they, they'll be back to where we expect them to be. But yeah. uh, for um, now, similar to the Philly-Minnesota game, I think injuries are what really made the difference here. The yes game. and no. Like I, I kind of agree with you. Like, I think they, they, they push closer if the injuries aren't there, but I do think that there are structurally a lot of issues on that defence, and I think, they, I think this might be the thing that will hold the team back going from from going deeper later on is if they can't find either a better way to scheme this up because they're running this kind of weird wide nine four three thing and it's just not really working for us uh at all we i don't know if it's a personnel mismatch and in particular i'm very happy that the trade for ramsey's gone down because that will be a trade that will make the absolute travesty that is the frank clark trade look okay by comparison because <laughs> at least yeah. we only gave up a first and a second and got a third back for that one or whatever um yeah it's just not looking good at the moment i, I think you know 
you have a new scheme, new coach, a lot of new players, and obviously injuries, I think there's room to improve. And they were better in the first few weeks, so I wouldn't panic just yet mm. uh, about this. Hopefully they can get better and be back to where they were, and were more where they were in early in the week, which wasn't earlier in the year, which wasn't great, but was sufficient yeah well this is the thing like we just if we could get it to be in the 22nd 23rd i'd be happy but uh i'm not sure i can see that happening right now unless we pick up some linebackers uh atlanta at arizona 33 to 34 man this is close for a really stupid game full of just stupid big <laughs> yeah, this, plays this is when we kind of begrudgingly have to review properly just because it, it was a stupid game but lots of stupid like crazy stuff happened like Kyler Murray, 340 yards, three touchdowns, lots of crazy, like, Russell Wilson-style scrambling, but he's a fair bit faster than Russell Wilson as well. Um, just, like, I think he might be finding his groove a little bit, albeit Atlanta's defense is the worst. Yeah. Uh, and with another game where Matt Ryan continues to put up, like, lots of yards and lots of touchdowns, like 350 passing yards, multiple touchdowns, and you still lose. This is the Matt Ryan story of his life right now. <laughs> and... You know, they managed to lose this game Atlanta on a mixed missed extra point um, on their last touchdown. So I think Atlanta right now are probably one of the saddest teams in football. Oh, yeah. it's, just a, it's just a matter of time until they, they probably put Dan Quinn out of his misery. Just but that's like, the thing, like, you're, you're, this, this, is, this is a team that's going to have, like, a, a season where they win nine games, pass for, you know... 4,000 yards, run for 1,800, score loads of touchdowns, and they just start, like, cleaning house. Like, yeah. on paper, this team should be great. Even on paper, with what it's actually putting out there as a product, it should be good. But, yeah, just there's no there's no backbone to the defense. Like, and it, it almost reminds me of, like, Andy Reid and Philly, where it's just, like, sometimes things just... Like they, they, they reach a point where you can't get them back to where they need to be and you just need to have a new change. Yeah. And I could see Dan Quinn, he could build up the reputation as a defensive coordinator as well as so be a head coach again. Um, but I just think this is a team that just needs some kind of refresh. And I think the personnel is good enough that a good coach could get this team back up to being relevant. Probably not this year, but perhaps next year. Dan Quinn to the Mazungus. Uh, start it now. Start it often. Uh, Sam Fran at the LA Rams, 20-7. This was... I think a surprise for yeah. the most part. I think I called for Sam Fran just because I've been I've been falling off that Rams bandwagon for a while now. This was uh, pressing as ever, Connor. Pressing as ever. <laughs> yeah, the 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 defensive line that they have is just incredible. The depth and rotation they have, they were just causing a nightmare for uh, for poor Jared Goff, and then. They didn't even have Gurley in this game because of a, I think it was a quad contusion or something. So, like, San Fran might not be the world's most exciting team in offense. They were getting some good stuff happening, but like, not not something you'd expect for a you know undefeated team. But that defense, though, like, yeah, this is this was a type of win that like makes the the fundamentals like the foundations. That's what matters when building a football team. Like that's this is that philosophically, uh, like the platonic ideal of that. Like mm-hmm. this defensive line annihilated the Rams' offense. They had like seventy-eight pass yards for one of the most prolific passing uh, attacks in the NFL. Like we thought, like Bill Belichick did a good job in the Super Bowl. This was even better than that, and they had like four sacks. But here's a statistic that really shows it: zero third-down conversions. Zero fourth down conversions. That they had multiple fourth down attempts 
the Rams. That's the kind of defense that can win championships. And when you pair that with the fact that the Shanahan offense is a run-first offense and gets yards no matter who's back there, though Coleman and Breida continue to be impressive. It doesn't even matter that Jimmy G's been a bit of a passenger all this time and threw a pick, um, a pretty stupid pick. It just, like, this is the kind of game, the grinding, uh, like, type of game plan that's going to beat up on the vast majority of teams in the NFL and could take you all the way if, if they can, like, if they continue to operate at this level. Yeah, like, this the Rams are still a decent team, but they got annihilated here. Yeah, and this is the thing with the San Fran as well, is that, like, we've seen glimpses previously of Jimmy G looking great and that offense firing very well. Like, even last year when they had the, um, the other quarterback nick wasn't it or nick mullins yeah Yeah, nick mullins like that offense was able to go off at times as long as they can scheme it up right like this defense is there if they can figure it out on offense this could be a very dangerous team the the offense isn't even that bad because they can run the ball really well yeah yeah. they struggle a little they struggle a bit in the red zone but they are getting up and down the field through the run game and you know I, i think against like the lesser lights that they'll probably do plenty to get the points they need to win well yeah, and like we said, the Rams still good. I like this is the thing. Watching performances like this, it's not adding a very expensive cornerback that's going to change that for you. But uh, look, look, all the best, and they do still have good team, good personnel, good uh, good coaching. So we'll see what the Rams can do. But this was a this was a men versus boys kind of situation for that game. Tennessee at Denver, uh, zero to sixteen. They got shut out. Oh God. Um, I think we talked about Tennessee, so... Tennessee are awful. Denver's offense was amazing in this game. Let's have a giant chunk play, let's not be able to do anything, and then let's kick a field goal. Cool, let's do that again. (laughs) Like, that was all it was. It was just getting... uh, What's his name? The uh, Lindsay to just run, make up a load of the yardage to get up to the end not be able to do anything in short yardage situations whenever they get to a condensed field and then just just settle for the field goal. It was just, yeah, it was just two shit teams playing each other, but Denver, because the thing is, Denver still has talented pieces. They're just not a good team. They're They're missing... They're a grinder team. They'll get some wins, but I don't care about them. (laughs) By the way, I'm ever so slightly worried about playing them on Thursday Night Football as well, given, like I said for the last one, where strengths match weaknesses... They have a good thing. Our only our only hope is that, uh, like we say, they've got an offense that can travel to about the 20-yard line and then not figure out how to move from that point onwards. Uh, next up, Dallas at the Giants. This one was a big upset. The Giants the win. I'm oh, sorry, Jets. You're confusing your, giant, your, your New York teams. That's it. Uh, <laughs> NYJ. 22-24. Uh, Darnold, he's back, and it seems that all them kissing diseases ain't going to stop him. 338 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, Robbie Anderson got involved. Uh, I think I've dropped him from every single fantasy football team, so <laughs> yeah, good to know. Yeah, a 92-yard bomb in this game. and like Sam Darnold was great in the first half, a little bit more what we kind of saw from earlier on in the second half, but I think... I think we saw that at least the Jets are relevant at this point because they have Darnold back. They're probably too far back to be playoff relevant, but they should win games at least. Um, and I think, yeah, like I think maybe the the, the bigger spleen gave Darnold some more ballast to kind of, uh, <laughs> get his throws a bit further here. I think the big story here, though, I suppose for relevance for playoffs is that Dallas uh, struggles continue. I know they have a few injuries and they picked up one to Cooper here, but uh, you know they're on a three-loss skid right now. Um, and they just kind of look 
Like, the offense is, is, isn't great, but it's been okay. Mm-hmm. But I think the big story is actually their defense has been a huge step down this year compared to last year. Yeah, Van Der Esch not looking are, at all like he did last yeah, year. The Jets are fine, but I don't think they, 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 I think they were flattered a little bit by how this Dallas defense isn't really playing up to it. I think the much-vaunted linebackers aren't doing that much. The secondary isn't doing much and it's just yeah you have to worry about Dallas like they'll probably make the playoffs just of who they're playing against in the division but uh, a lot less uh, a lot less attractive than it seemed in the first few weeks no of course and like we said like Dallas just have they have an incredibly talented roster the initial part was that their coaching started turning around you know Kellen Moore's offense seemed to be looking well I think we mentioned in the last uh, podcast that what will be interesting to see is can that stay consistent will he be able to adjust it to keep it relevant because it's falling back pretty much week on week and like you said there's injuries but you kind of skip the lead on this one did you see the video of Jason Garrett trying to fist bump his team when they were coming back and the entirety of the team walked past him and refused to fist bump or high five him because no one believes in what he's trying to do like the whole morale in that system is gone. He's 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 a useless milk toast coach who has yeah. been dead on his feet for years. But they keep him there because he's one of the Dallas good old boys. And I think that might actually be impacting it. I think that always caps how good they could be. They should be better than they like. Even when they were playing well last year, they could be better. But you know that's just the way it is in Dallas. I know, but, um, like, I but this is this is this is open revolt almost versus the passive kind of we'll take our paychecks and that's uh, fine. We'll see. He has the backing of Jerry Jones. I think the players realize that there's not much they can do. Um, I think the the next game, uh, the, the the open revolt is uh, over in Pittsburgh at least for now because they they beat the Chargers well, until 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 he <laughs> takes the job in Washington. <laughs> Yeah, well, Tomlin, yeah, wants to be associated with the Mizunis game, according to their ownership. But uh, Pittsburgh win at LA, uh, you know, in the massive home field advantage that the, the Chargers have. But uh, really, the, the, the Steelers just run all over the Chargers, 120 yards for Connor, another 90 from Benny Snell. Um, Hodgins didn't do anything as their filling quarterback. And I think the big thing to take away from this is that the Chargers right now stink yep, really, really bad. Awful. Even their good players, like, well, supposedly good players, like Rivers... And Allen and Gordon are stinky and bad and screwing up. Like, you know, like Keenan Allen hasn't done anything for weeks. And they got Hunter Henry back and he did some stuff. He got 100 yards and two touchdowns. But uh, they got like they got their 17 points in the fourth quarter. So the Chargers, they, there's definitely a chance that they're going to go into a tailspin and just like be completely irrelevant in a few weeks already. Um, and for a team that kind of had, you know, deep playoff aspirations, that's got to be an issue. They have enough talent that they should be there. But. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just yeah, like like Pittsburgh, we kind of knew were tail spinning. The Chargers, we kind of thought would pull out of it, but it just yeah, Henry looked good in his return, but the team just looks sloppy. Mm. I don't. Uh, and then finally, we had the Monday Night Football, Detroit at Green Bay, twenty two to twenty three. Again, this was you know interesting, good performances from both teams. Green Bay won the walk off field goal, but. This was atrocious, atrocious refereeing. Uh, Like, I just... It makes it it hard to watch when you see things moving and and turning on those kind of things, you know? Yeah, and to be honest, this was a bit of an arm wrestle of a game. Both teams, their defences are probably ahead of their offences right now. And that's why those kind of marginal calls that we saw for hands to the face 
um, against Detroit ended up making such a huge difference. Like Detroit had plenty of chances to score here. They had like a few turnovers, uh, and but they all, they've settled for five field goals. And against Green Bay, whose offense obviously is just inconsistent, we've said that so many times before, but is capable of having those one, two, three big plays a, a game to get it done. Um, so I just think Detroit, like Detroit, as you know, they, they are traditionally want to do through this game away, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and shouldn't have let it come down to a dodgy call. Um, but in Green Bay, their defense continues to get the job done, even under difficult circumstances here, given where the special teams play and and, uh, and turnovers were happening. Yeah. So and that was it. Like this is the spot where big, big win in the NFC North. Yeah, like I think Green Bay are not as good as their record suggests, and the Lions are better than their record suggests. And these types of games are exactly how close they are versus what the standings say. Well, I suppose we'll move over and we'll take some questions from the listeners. Okay, so uh, first one in says, teams get big hauls and low hauls for trading mid-season. When do you think the optimum time to get value as a buyer or a seller for trading players? So I suppose this is kind of like the... They paid a huge amount to get the cornerback uh, into the Rams... Similarly, at the start of the season last year, there was a large amount paid for Mac, but actually smaller than was paid for now. Like, is there a time of year that there's a better time for trading players to get value, both from a selling and from a buying perspective, or does it just depend on the need? I think when you're selling, if you if you're selling mid-season for a genuinely good player. Uh, who's who's in form? Um, then I think you're usually in a better position if you're selling them uh, mm-hmm. in the se- in season. Um, if you think of like Percy Harvin or Jalen Ramsey, these are players who, who that's happened to. Um, I think it, that means obviously the inverse of that when you're buying, you should buy in the off season when you know you can do it in a rational way where you're kind of building the rest of the roster, making decisions. Um, I think you know maybe after the draft is probably. Um, the best time because you know the, the draft picks are theoretically at their lowest value at that point so mm-hmm. trading away it, it makes the most sense um, but uh, yeah like I think the quality of the decision probably overwhelms when you do it but uh, it's suppose if you're, if you're selling someone if you think you can hold on to someone and sell them for a lot later sometimes yeah. you end up being proven right yeah like I think I think a lot of our opinion on this gets distorted because there's going to be a couple of large name trades every year. Maybe not as many every year, but like, you know, we're going to remember things like Mac and Ramsey. We're not going to remember like the offensive tackle that's just gone to the Rams as well. We're not going to remember bits and pieces like that, the smaller trades, which are much more common. So I think when you're talking about kind of big cornerstone pieces, there's always going to be a large price attached and that can vary but i think that's just pure market rather than time because you know like time wise this should be a cheaper time to pick up ramsey because he's only got a year left and it's a fifth year option but they're still paying through the nose because they're going to extend him so i don't think that's impacting it all that much but i do think that probably time of the season affects a lot more the smaller lower down trades when you're trying to get a fifth like rotational linebacker you know, that's probably going to cost you more five weeks into the season than it would in the off season when everyone has. Well, if, if you're picking up the if you're picking up those marginal players, the the time to do that is around when cuts are happening because you can get decent players for basically nothing. No, of course. So. Yeah, um, and the other one was who's your XFL team? I don't have one. Uh, uh, yeah, like I don't have like just on a cursory look. 
Um, maybe the St. Louis Battlehawks, simply because that's the one uh, city that got screwed over at the moment. Mm. And they did draft Christine Michaels. So get oh, lovely, yeah, over. very good. <laughs> yeah, I watched uh, a bit of the, the draft system and it looked a little bit depressing. Yeah, they probably have the, the least notable quarterback, which is saying something. Jordan Tuamu, or maybe Luis Perez fights him out for that. But uh, it's uh, it was pretty dire, let's be honest. Uh, apparently the presentation wasn't amazing for what they did for this no. draft. And, so was, uh, and Trent it, Richardson wasn't drafted. What a disgrace. That's ama- that, to me, is amazing. Cause he, was in the, he was in the AAF or whatever, the AFL. Yeah, two yards of carry, but a touchdown machine, you know? yeah. Uh, who needs more? Like he was just the Jerome Bettis of the AAF, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, the the XFL haven't picked a team yet. I think I'm gonna go for the one where their tagline for the quarterback was that he chose the NFL. So he chose the XFL over the NFL, uh, which is clearly just not true. On the basis that, and one of his selling points was that he was an invitee to the uh, combine that year. He wasn't selected, didn't even get an undrafted free agency spot, but he was invited to the combine, and that's his selling point, and I quite like that. Maybe that or the one, because uh, Murray's in there, isn't he, or uh, whatever his name is, the one that used to be on the Chiefs and had the broken yeah, Aaron leg. Yeah, Aaron Murray, Landry Jones, Cardiel Jones, yeah. Matt McLeod, a few players you've probably heard of. Yeah, I might go for that. It is, it is a truly who's who of washed out players, though. It's, uh, it's, it, it, it's kind of grim reading. You kind of go, oh, I remember him. Oh, that's where he is now. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, we'll probably talk a bit more about the XFL uh, once we hear a little bit more about what they're going to do. Uh, we've still got a year until it, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, we'll move over and have a look at the upcoming games this week. So, uh, first up, Thursday Night Football, Kansas City at Denver. Uh, I've gone for Kansas City and you've gone for Kansas City. Yeah, I think you've referenced already, like, there is some reason to believe that Denver could get it done. Yeah. So I just... Their, 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 their offense is still so milquetoast besides Philip Lindsay, who seems to be getting into a groove again as mm. the season goes on. Uh, but yeah, I think KC, yeah, they're struggling against the good teams, but I imagine against a, like a, a pretty mediocre Denver team, they can get enough done. Yeah, um, sure. Like, a mile high, a mile high. Pat Mahomes control even further. So that's true. But your 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 worry is always <laughs> short week traveling, all that kind of stuff, and also yeah. like we said. They do have a good pass rush, even though it took a while to start getting going. Our offensive line are in pieces. They've also got a good running back, and we can't stop running backs. So we'll see. But yeah, Kansas City, I'll, I'll, I'll take it for now. Next up, Oakland at Green Bay. We've both gone Green Bay. Oakland have looked good of late, but like not good good. They've just looked like, oh, that's better than I was expecting. Green Bay, on the other hand, actually look good good. Their defense looks decent. Their offense is starting to move a little bit more like we'd expect. And let's be honest, when they're home at Lambeau, the refereeing decisions tend to go <laughs> in their favor, you know? A little bit, a little bit. Like Oakland, Oakland are kind of the Kirk Cousins of teams, in my opinion, right now. I might give them a favor against losing teams, but against winning teams, I'm, I'm usually going to pick against them. Like, fine, they'll be okay. Maybe Josh Jacobs might get 100 yards, but I think if Rodgers has to speed up, he'll do enough to get this done. No, of course. Uh, Rams at Atlanta. To be honest, I was 50-50 on this game because I yeah, think both Atlanta's these teams so are not very good. Like, Atlanta are so good at losing right now, I just can't pick them. So Yeah, and Todd Gurley is expected to be back in the lineup. Like that Arizona game, they just, they're, they're just losing perfection right now. Yeah, uh, so we've both gone for Rams in that one. Uh, San Fran at Washington, no need for this one. San Fran are good, Washington are bad. Uh, yeah. 
Next is my pick of the week, Houston at Indianapolis. I think this is an interesting one. Uh, I've gone for Indy. You've gone for Houston. I could see this going either way. Uh, Indy coming off a bye week, which I think will help them a little bit, and it's at home for them. And they tend to play within the division very tough. Houston looked good last week, but were able to capitalize on weaknesses in the Chiefs roster that I just don't think are there for Indianapolis. They got a much more complete defense. Their offense, even though it's not as good as it will be under Luck, has been firing well. I just think this will be a really good game of football. Um, not necessarily even all that high scoring. I just think comprehensively good at most levels of the game. Both are pretty complete looking teams, if not spectacular in that many areas. So um, yeah, we're split on that one, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. So I think it'll be good. Uh, Minnesota at Detroit. Um, yeah. It's, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Like I think we said, like Minnesota, obviously, changing that narrative. They found their groove maybe a little bit, like which mm-hmm. is basically saying, "Hey, Kirk Cousins, uh, when we give you play action, how about you pass the ball more than like two yards?" And it's like, "Oh yeah, I have like these good receivers who can catch the ball. Amazing." Um, I think Detroit will be a bit more of a challenge than that, but uh, I think Minnesota they can get back to the run game. They can get that passing game going, and Detroit, uh, they'll be solid. They'll put up a good fight, but uh, I think Minnesota might get it done. But, like, they are away. Like, now that I think about it, I am. Like, yeah, Detroit I'm the exact same. Fight. I was happy with my Minnesota pick until yeah. I started to think about it, and I'm like, <laughs> but Detroit are good, and they've got a good defense, yeah. and that doesn't work well for, oh, wait. And Cook has, yeah. a, Cook has a high ankle, doesn't he? So. Let, let me check. What's Detroit's record right now? I think they're just below 500, are they? Um, so yeah, I think, they're, yeah, yeah. They're, I think they're two, two, and one. Is it? Oh, okay. That makes it a lot. <laughs> this is this is tough, Connor. But uh, I think we'll go. We'll we've we'll we'll, we'll, st- we'll stick with Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah, but hey, this this is one that could turn on a turn on a dime. I think uh, Jacksonville at Cincinnati. Oh God. Uh, we'll take Minshew Madness over Dalton Sadness. Yeah, I think we want Jacksonville to win, and I think. They're a team that at least if they start winning, they might go somewhere. So, yeah, yeah. give it to them. No, of course. Uh, Arizona at the Giants. I've gone Giants. Yeah. You've gone Arizona. Like, this this has the potential to be like the Atlanta-Arizona game. That's a yeah. big, stupid game where crazy stuff happens. But, yeah, you can't really predict either of these teams. Saquon, I think, is expected to be back. So that makes a huge Saquon and Ingram are expected to be back for Giants. So, expect... Hopefully, the best case scenario is it just turns into an offensive uh, firework show. Yeah, which is kind of what I'm hoping. Like that, it'll be, you know, fireworks that you know children can handle. It's like a sparkler show rather than a <laughs> proper firework show. You know, JTP isn't in, in the. It's true. Anymore. It's true. Uh, Miami at Buffalo. Oh God, uh, Buffalo. Yeah, they're gonna run all over them. It's gonna yeah. be pretty. Uh, this one's a real hard one to pick. Chargers at Tennessee. Both these teams are awful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel no impulsion to really care. I think no. we're both going for the Chargers. Chargers. Yeah. I think we, we're expecting to hopefully turn the corner, but yeah. yeah. Let's go Chargers because they're the more talented team and hope that we just don't have to discuss this game. Uh, now, here's a good one Baltimore at Seattle. Uh, yeah. Both got Seattle because, let's be honest, Baltimore have looked down over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, like, uh, I think. Like the big thing for Seattle that they got Jaron Reed back actually from suspension this week, which would be a huge addition to their defensive line. Mm-hmm. And the defensive line's been pretty good, if not sack heavy so far. Um, I think Seattle right now 
against the pass are pretty questionable, but against the run have actually been pretty good. So I expect them to get after Lamar Jackson, maybe even have a spy like someone like Bobby Wagner mm-hmm. or one of the linebackers spy him and just force him to go back to him passing. Because I think except against the you know really terrible teams like Miami, uh, I don't think we've seen Lamar have to pass too much so far. Um, against the better team. So I think Seattle will have a clear game plan to try and stop that, force him to throw to Andrews or Marquise Brown, and, and then obviously we know that Seattle, they'll want to run the ball and then just sprinkle in some Russell yeah. Wilson magic bullshit. Um, so I think in in Seattle, you kind of have to go for Seattle, but it uh, should hopefully be a fun, interesting game. Yeah, no, I think that'll uh, be... I wouldn't count that ball tomorrow yet. I wouldn't either, but no, I think that'll be a very exciting one uh, to watch. New Orleans at Chicago... Uh, we've both got from New Orleans in this one. I was 50-50 on it. I don't think either of these teams are particularly playing up to expectations at the moment. But I just think, yeah, like Chicago, their offense looks like too much of a mess at the moment, really. Yeah. I think um, they get Mitch Titties back for this game, so that... Well, I don't know if that's an improvement or not, but it'll make them a bit more, I suppose, have more upside. But, like, New Orleans just keep on winning, so I'm, I'm going to keep picking them until they, they lose again. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty solid approach. Next was your pick of the week. You've gone for Philly at Dallas. Yeah, so a battle for the Two top. Two teams on yes. a downward trend the last week. Yeah, but also a battle for the top of the NFC East, true to both on 3-3 three and three and leading that division. Um, Philly, we know the issue with them is the injuries, mostly, probably. Like their secondary, which was thin, has been ravaged by injuries, and their offense uh, on the right receiver end is, is still a little bit banged up. I think Carson Wentz is still playing well, that's the main thing, and that's like going to make a. It's going to be. They'll need Carson Wentz to play really well in this game to make up for the fact that Dallas, I think, will get back on track on offense. I think that secondary, like even if Cooper is out, I imagine Gallup. And Cobb, if he's back, and even Witten might get involved and get those uh, get those uh, offensive yards. And I think like Dallas, I know like the defense has been bad, but I expect that like I'm still expecting maybe they can turn around. And Chris Richard is a good defensive coordinator. Maybe they can sort something out. But uh, I think in in the end, what will matter is that like the Philly secondary just got so ravaged by Minnesota. And I think Dak Prescott is around the same area, if not a little bit better than Kirk Cousins, and should be able to do roughly the same thing yeah I think it'd be interesting um, so, to see about the Cooper injury and see how he's yeah. playing in this both, one but. both these teams are ones that I could e- easily see be a lot better come week 17 but yeah. obviously a game like this could make a difference between being you know either in the playoffs on the or the wildcard or... versus into uh, being like in the bottom like wildcard seed versus being you know getting a home game home game at least no of course of course and then our final game on Monday night is the ugh, New England at the Jets and uh, New England by a whole lot is my guess. Yeah, like uh, we'll see if Darnold can at least expose the England defense to some kind of pressure. It won't mm-hmm. be enough, obviously, but if he if, if the Jets actually scored like near twenty points, they'd probably be pretty happy to. Yeah, yeah, it'd be a, be a win for them, I suppose. Just uh, don't throw to Stefan Gilmore. That, that's just my advice. <laughs> that's that, that's the trick. <laughs> very good um, yeah so any crack else for the rest of the week then obviously the, the the Ireland game on Saturday and anything else yeah so the the rugger will probably be the, the main priority if if New Zealand win that will probably start a little bit of day drinking I'd imagine 
Um, there's also a Liverpool United game on Sunday, and I'll probably be watching the Japan game against South Africa. That'll be fun to watch. But uh, oh yeah, yeah, it's probably a week, a sport, a week, a sport weekend this time, and obviously the NFL to cap it all off on Sunday evening. Very good, very good. Yeah, I think a kind of bit of a relaxy one. This one would be nice to kind of get back to chilling out and not having to spend the weekend studying and stuff. So uh, we'll see what's doing the rounds here if there's any plans afloat but uh, might finally go and see that uh, Joker film that we've been hearing so much about uh, the, uh, did you see the uh, the SNL uh, I haven't party? yet I've heard it's very good but I haven't <laughs> seen it yet I went to have a look at it during the week and I couldn't get it uh, it didn't it's appear up. to be on their on their YouTube channel yet so uh, I think it was on their Twitter maybe Ah, right, right, right. Fair enough. I might give it a gander. But yeah, so we've got that. Uh, so there's one or two films out. So I might kind of maybe try and get to see one of those or something. But no, it should be, uh, should be good. Nice to be... exams, you have all this free time again to know, work out amazing. and engage uh, in the local culture. Exactly. Uh, the local culture. That's, uh, that's watching sport and having beer, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but in Iraq. So yeah, true, it's true. But no, uh, no. Hey, at least you're not doing an Irish bar, right? That's true. Well, there, there isn't one, so. Uh, yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> not completely cliche. Exactly, right. exactly. So, I suppose uh, as always, you can get your messages to us on Facebook, Twitter, and all that kind of stuff, and your questions, etc. But I suppose for now, it's bye for myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening. We'll chat to you next week. Bye.